and it's just the ground. Knowing if I fail to lift the veil, I'm hell bound. Journey through the fate of all the hate I found. Done laying out the layman's for these lanes, big clowns. We can still throw down pound for pound. If you choose to drag my name through the mud with no bounds. Scars go deep, but the passion can shift. Trying to find a balance between anger and bliss. Searching for my purpose when success is a myth. I thought I knew the gist of the plot, but it came with a twist. Had it all mapped out, but none of the pieces fit. Abandonment issues got me doing the split. Realizing I didn't really need what I wish. Got sick of getting tricked into giving the devil a kiss. Welcome to the side of hell. They got me under a spell. And I got a story to tell as soon as I break out of this shell. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us, Portal to the Paranormal Thriller Podcast Live. We've got a great show for you tonight. Um, just before we bring on our great guests, just a quick hello to Raymond. Uh, how you doing, pal? Uh, Matt Barron, you know, give a bit of a shout out to you. Thank you for that amazing intro that you've just done for us. Um, guys, if you want an intro done for any of your podcasts, that matter what it is, hit up Matt Barron, um, Paravids. Uh, he's done a great job for us, and, you know, I'm sure he do a great job for you. But with tonight's show, hi, Abby, uh, we have a returning guest, uh, Chris, Dr. Chris Sumner from Soul Sisters Paranormal. Um, we initially spoke to Chris back during the pandemic, and I thought it would be great to have a quick catch up with her and see how she's doing. So let me bring Chris on. Hi, Chris. How you doing? I'm well, Nando. How are you doing tonight? Really well, thank you. Um, again, thank you so much for joining us tonight and, you know, having to catch up with us. Um, how's things been since the pandemic for you guys over there? Actually doing pretty well. Um, you know, I know you had Miranda from Ghost Biker Explorations on um, and she and I are co-owners of the historic Scott County Jail here in Tennessee. And uh, so that's been extremely busy. Uh, Ghost Biker came off her uh, episodes there in October. So I know she's been really busy doing that. And then Soul Sisters Paranormal. Um, and we've just released another video a couple of weeks ago and we have I'm working on another documentary video as we speak. And then we've got some investigations lined up. So, yeah, things have been and rolling pretty well for us over here absolutely brilliant and we'll come on to that um in a moment about what you've been doing especially you know partnering partnering with miranda with the county jail mm -hmm. sounds great um but also about what you guys are doing um with soul sisters paranormal as well but what i want to do is just sort of um cast back a little bit because we've got a, not, a lot of new followers and what i want you to do is just give us a bit of a background on how soul sisters paranormal come about yeah, absolutely. So Soul Sisters Paranormal is an all-female group made up of myself, my twin sister, our younger sister, and two female family friends. And we really just started um, investigating the paranormal as an interesting way to have a girls trip uh, a couple times a year because we all live in different parts of the country. And we wanted to do something a little bit unique. So in 2014, we actually met up in Moundsville, West Virginia, which is where the West Virginia State Penitentiary is located. And that's reported to be one of the most haunted locations in the U.S. And uh, so we had a family friend that sat on the board of that facility and he said, while you're here, why don't you just take one of those nights and, and stay in the prison and see if you can 
connect with our resident spirits. So we did a very rudimentary investigation for that first investigation. We had some night vision video cameras, a couple of voice recorders, uh, but we left that experience with what we felt was very compelling, unexplainable evidence. Uh, we all come from a research background. So, you know, my sister, my twin sister and I, we both have PhDs. There's two lawyers on the team and a master's holder on the team. So we really wanted to approach it from a research mindset to really go in with a debunking attitude first um, before and rule out everything that we could environmentally. And then what we're left with is the unexplained. So that first investigation really taught us some different techniques that we've built on um, since 2014. But, uh, you know, now we've gone to several dozen locations across the country um, and really put together a formula that that we really like and our fans seem to connect with as well. Yeah, I've seen on your website, you've got some great locations that you've visited, like um, the Lizzie Bourdain um, location, mm -hmm. and we'll go on to that in a moment. Uh, just a quick um, comment from Penny Morgan. Um, are you speaking from the jail at the moment, are you? I am. Hey, thank you, Penny, for watching. And I am speaking from the jail, which was highlighted in Haunted Magazine. Thanks to Penny Morgan. She did a fantastic article, um, a really cool spread as we got four pages there in Haunted Magazine. And we are absolutely thrilled to to um, have that interview with her. So thank you for highlighting us in such a great way, uh, Penny. But yes, I am speaking from the historic Scott County Jail. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so going back to what you were saying, um, oh, there, there, there's Miranda now. Hey, Miranda. Hope you're well. Um, so you're saying that you started this as a bit of a girl's trip. Mm -hmm. um, yep. You know, with your first investigation, what kind of things like got you, shall we say, like the bug for the paranormal then? What what happened on that investigation that got you like so drawn in that it's expanded into what you're doing today? Well, we've always had a fascination with the paranormal, and we always said to ourselves, if we had the opportunity to conduct a, a, a real investigation, if you will, that we'd jump on that chance, and the West Virginia State Penitentiary really offered us that opportunity. So that first investigation, as I said, we had some voice recorders and some night vision video cameras, and we're a small group, again, all females, but yet on that investigation, we captured a man's voice. Um, we captured some very inter in interesting readings on our K2 meters that we couldn't explain. Um, we were hearing footsteps that we couldn't explain, especially in cell blocks that we knew nobody was in because we had complete control of the environment. And so that really catapulted us into wanting to, as best we could, really elevate this subculture of paranormal into a more mainstream conversation. And that's what we really attempted to do with Soul Sisters Paranormal because, you know, when you look at at that time, what was the trend in paranormal? Um, you've got these individuals who, and, and not, not disparaging this at all, you've got those individuals that run in, you know, with hoodies and all of that and screaming and, and, and yelling and really trying to get that perspective of the paranormal. What we wanted to do was make it a little bit more of a conversation starter where we've, we go in with a professional mindset, you know, we've created our logo and our, 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 our look and our branding and really show people that it's not like what you see on popular television shows. It's not this um, thing that you have to fear. It's something that we can appreciate one from the historical perspective of these locations that we're going to, but also bringing in that unexplained element um, because obviously death is something that we're all going to experience and it doesn't have to be like what what is portrayed on popular television shows or in movies, we wanted to show you the other side. And, uh, you know, that's really kind of how we approached it, again, from that real historical narrative and then moving into the unexplained evidence that we captured at these locations. 
And, you know, what's great, because I've watched some of your stuff, and what, what I like is, at the start, you give a bit of a, a briefing about the location. You're, mm-hmm. you're sort of given, like, a documentary, in a way, of what's the location about. But with, with that said, I know that you're doing that as you're recording your series on YouTube and everything. Mm-hmm. Do, do you always, before going to a location... Do you always look into the history before going to the location? Or are you one of those people that would be like, we don't know much about the history. Let's see what we find first and then look into the history afterwards. Which way would you, do you go about it? For us, we we really want to do a historical deep dive first. Um, and the reason we do that is because that allows us to formulate our investigation style for that location. Um, for example, investigating a lighthouse is completely different than investigating a, a penitentiary or a prison, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to find out the history of that location. And that's going to guide our questions. That's going to guide our, our t- the tools and techniques that we use there. Um, because we want to formulate a plan before we go in uh, of really how we're going to investigate that location. Um, and if we can have some background information on that location, that will allow us to formulate trigger items or objects or um, trigger techniques that we can take in. It also allows us to formulate those questions that we want to ask to see if we can communicate with a particular spirit or a particular entity that may be in that location. Um, so for example, if, if I'm in Fort Mifflin, which is a revolutionary war fort in Philadelphia, I want to try to connect with people that had um, an experience at that location that could be there because of that experience at that location. So it's obviously different than what I would do at the Lizzie Borden house or at the St. Augustine Lighthouse. So for us, we are really research heavy on the front end. Um, And then after that, we'll go back and do if we need to, a deeper dive into that history, if we find something that is a little bit different than what we found in that historical narrative to begin with. Brilliant. And you're saying about, um, you know, working out the kind of equipment that you would use, mm-hmm. you know, what what are your go to bits of equipment that you would always say that's the first thing you're going to grab? What would it be for you? The, the very first thing I'm going to grab is a voice recorder, uh, because for us, you know, if you take a picture or you take a video, there are always elements that unless you have complete control of that environment, um, there are elements that can be debunked or a conversation that can be started around that. For us, EVPs are so very difficult to debunk for us because, again, we're an all-female team. So if I'm capturing a male's voice or I'm capturing a child's voice, uh, that and I know that there's no male or no child in the on the property, that to me is, is what we call unexplainable. I can't come up with a reason or a logic as to why I'm capturing those things. And so to me, EVPs are, I guess, what I would call the truest sense of the paranormal. And because I can't, I can't explain those things, those phenomena. Uh, after that, I, I particularly enjoy the K2 meter. Um, I enjoy the spirit box. I was skeptical of the spirit box really when I first started, um, you know, working with it. Um, but now that I've used it, I, I'm very much taken to the spirit box. We've got EDI box. We've got, um, you know, obviously the, like I said, the K2s and stuff that we use. Um, and then uh, we're really heavy on trigger items, uh, really formulating those things that we can take to elicit a response from enti- any entity in that, in that facility. Brilliant. And just um, a couple of questions. We'll go back to what, what you're saying there but there's a few questions that i want to bring up that people are asking so firstly penny do you research individuals or more the broader historical picture 
Really both, Penny. You know, we'll start with the the broad overview of the history of that location. So, for example, we'll go back to Fort Mifflin. Obviously, we want to research the entire scope of that history from the Revolutionary War into the Civil War, uh, really into the Vietnam and Korean War, because it held munitions there during those wars as well. But then we do a dive into individuals that were in that location. So when we find out that there was a man by the name of William Howe in the solitary confinement cell of that fort, now we we want to connect with that. We want to find out his history as well. So we'll start with a broad overview and then really deep dive into um, more individualized history uh, if we can find it or if it's germane to that location. Um, you know, there are some locations that it's very hard to do. For example, like Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, you've got this large penitentiary that was built in the, in the late 1800s. Obviously, that scope of the individuals who have been there is very difficult to do a deep dive. But there are several individuals that we know of had a more colorful past, and we'll highlight those or try to elicit a response from those spirits when we go to the location. And with that said, when you're picking up on certain individuals at these locations, do you go back to the same ones to build the story? Because, you know, sometimes you get some weak responses, but the more you go, the, the better the response and you seem to pick up on the same individual. Do you find that as well? We try to. Um, it depends on if we can get back to that location. Um, you know, for us, obviously, th the scope of the U.S. is so large, um, comparatively speaking, to where you're at. So uh, there are locations that we've, we've been to numerous times, and we do conduct those multiple experiments that try to elicit a, a, a bigger conversation broad of, from those spirits. So, um, for example, we investigated the Ma Barker house, which is the site of the 1935 shootout between Ma and Fred Barker and members of the FBI. Now, we were the very first team to investigate this location that were allowed to go into this house and investigate, do a true paranormal investigation. And so we did make that a multi-part investigation where we got responses on that first night. And then that led us to different questions and more responses from what we believe were those same individuals over the course of that investigation structure. And with that said, you know, this goes to any kind of spirit that you're communicating with. Now, we're dealing with, with history here. A lot of it's history, but then a part of it, science comes into it as well. Um, but with spirits, when you're going there, do you think spirits become more aware of what we're doing? Because a lot of them are going back to the stage of where we didn't have a K2 meter or they didn't have a K2 meter or a spirit box. Do you think they're, even though they're in the spirit world, do you think they're able to adapt their learning still and understand what we're doing? I think the more investigation, uh, the more investigations happen at a location, uh, that can be the case. Um, you know, one of the, the the techniques that I actually learned from Ghost Biker, uh, you know, is to to kind of treat these objects um, as they would back in that time. So, for example, if we're at the Lizzie Borden house and they may not have known what uh, a flashlight is, well, we'll call yeah. it a candle or a torch, right? So so they, they kind of have that connection. Um, one of the things that we really use in our investigations is music because I do think that that transcends um, time and space because, like, for example back to Fort Mifflin, when we were in Fort Mifflin, you know, we really, um, we, we downloaded some music that would be uh, germane to that time frame. Uh, we downloaded uh, American songs, we downloaded uh, in British marching songs and such, and and, uh, and drum cadences that, that, that they would have recognized. So we use music a lot in our investigations because again, you know, if you, if you listen to something back in the early 1800s, 
that can still resonate today and it crosses those uh, those generation or, or time barriers. Uh, so music is a big one for us. But to your point, you know, I, I do think these locations like a Lizzie Borden house or Brushy Mountain, they I do think that they learn and adapt. Um, but something like Ma Barker, when we investigated that location, you know, we had to, because it hadn't been investigated before, we went back to certain things that were um, that they would have recognized, right? Uh, bullets. We used bullets that um, were specific to the guns that they used. So we had bullets and bullet casings uh, that we used in that location. And um, we got uh, newspaper articles, the original newspaper articles, and we put that in the house as well. Again, something that they could connect with and be familiar with. Brilliant. Uh, just another question in the audience here. Um, so are there any holy things to use as a shield for protection from ghosts? So well, we all. do... <clears throat> yeah, oh, so what we do... Yeah, what we do is we actually say a prayer protection before we go in, um, and we'll say a prayer protection before we come out. Um, everybody on the team, we do come from Christian backgrounds and a, a strong Christian faith, and um, so we do believe that that is our protection as well. And, um, you know, what we also do is not so much from a, a spiritual perspective or a holy perspective, we set our intentions when we go in. Um, you know, we tell the spirits, this is why we're here. We are legitimately here to tell your story. We're not here to provoke you. We're not here to get you to leave. Um, we want to connect with you on your story level. And um, and if, if they feel threatened in any way, or we perceive that they're threatened by us, we say, listen, we've got a voice recorder in this room. We understand that this is your space. We will back off of this space and go investigate another portion of the property and leave this for you. If you want to communicate with us, this is how you can do it. And we respect them on that level. Um, and we also say that, you know, you, you can't attach to us, you can't come home with us and we're going to respect you if you respect us. And, and we really set those intentions. And I think because of that, it, it has really kind of guarded us and uh, protected us as well. Because um, like I said, we've been to dozens of the most reportedly haunted locations in the U.S. And I've never felt anything evil, malicious, demonic, um, or that has attached to us in any way. And just on locations, we got Abby that asked the question as well. Um, she has asked, where is the weirdest place you've investigated? Uh, thank you for that question, Abby. Um, you know, as, as far as locations, I think the most interesting one, um, uh, the weirdness schedule, uh, question is, is difficult. Um, the Velisca Axe Murder House was weird in the concept of it was different than I had perceived it. Um, when you watch it on television shows, um, you know, I expected this cornfield out in the middle of Iowa with this house planted on it. Um, you know, that, so from a physical perspective, that was probably the weirdest location just because my mindset had to change pretty quickly once we got to that location. Um, as far as paranormal activity, uh, weird wise, um, I would say the Grand Old, or the, the Grand Old Lady Hotel had some interesting um, uh, discoveries that we had there. Um, the old Gilcrest County Jail in Trenton, Florida, that was a great location as far as paranormal activity. And again, back to the Ma Barker house, uh, you know, we had some very interesting things that happened there. Um, I wouldn't categorize them as weird per se, but just things that really took us by surprise with the amount of, of paranormal activity that we were able to capture. And with regards to things that you've captured, um, what's the sort of process that you go? Because I know when we capture something, we can't just say this is definitely paranormal. As much as you, you get excited and you want to be jumping up and down when you hear something, because when you're on location, you know, some of the places are very old, creaky, 
you know, you got to be very careful about what you're putting down as paranormal, you know, because it could be anything, let's be mm -hmm. honest. But what sort of process do you guys take um, after you've done an investigation to ensure that it's something unexplained and something that you can say, this is something that we can't debunk? Absolutely. So the very first thing that we do when we go to a location is we take a day tour of that location. And we do that for a couple of reasons. The first one is we we want to get a lay of the land in the in the in the daylight, right? And we take that time to really scope out any environmental factors that could contribute to what somebody would consider a haunting. So we look at vehicular traffic, train traffic, airline patterns overhead, um, dogs in the neighborhood, kids in the neighborhood, anything that at night, if you hear these sounds, we can very, or, or see these sites, we can very quickly rule them out um, as being something natural and not paranormal. The next thing that we do is we look for spaces that are places. And I'm sorry, I've got a cat here scratching. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm waiting to make an appearance on the screen. Yeah, okay, real quick. Time out. This is, is. this is Shelly. This is Shelly, <laughs> our jail cat. So. She, she likes to make a, a, a parent, so yeah. we'll give her five minutes yeah. of fame there. <laughs> um, so the second thing that we do um, after that is we look for locations that we're going to leave our stationary equipment for the night. So our night vision video cameras, um, any stationary handheld equipment that we're going to leave in a location. Um, and so that allows us to, when we start the investigation, really have our game plan in mind. Um, and then also we formulate questions based on that day tour as well. So then we go in for the investigation. We'll get to the location, set up our night vision video cameras, set up our night vision station or our, our night stationary equipment in these locations. Uh, and then we'll start with our EVP sessions. Uh, another thing that we have is we all wear body cameras and that gives us a timestamp of where everybody is on the property during the night. So to your point, when we go back and do evidence review, if we hear something or see something that is unexplainable in the moment, I'll cross-reference that to where everybody is on the property at that time to make sure it wasn't one of us. Um, and then after that, what we do is we call it unexplainable. And the reason we label it unexplainable rather than paranormal is that if somebody can come back and say, well, I think it's this, this, and this, then we want to have that conversation um, to see if we can figure out what it was. Um, but when we also do our evidence review, what we do is we have we all have a process where we'll take you know some audio or some video and we'll watch it and we watch it in the raw we don't put it through an audio software or a visual software we listen to it as we recorded it and we watch it as we recorded it um so if i've got 10 voice recorders running for 10 hours i'm listening to 100 hours of audio and so as we listen to that if we hear something that is is suspect to us as, as being unexplainable I'll clip that and I'll send it to the team and say, what do you hear anything here? Um, mm -hmm. And if they do, then we'll try to have a dialogue on what we think it is to come up with a consensus. Um, so, for example, there may be some variations, like, for example, I may hear waterfall and somebody may hear watermelon. And but we both we all acknowledge that we hear something. And so that's why when I put together the videos, I always say we believe it's saying this and then I'll caption it. Um, but that's pretty much how we do our investigation and review process. Brilliant. Um, just a quick one. Um, we got a question. Have you ever investigated about Dyer Lake? We have not. No, we've never, we have not done that location. Brilliant. And then another, one. I like um, Joe's question. Have you ever had activity, I think, during your first walkthrough? So yes. during the day, you say you're doing it during the day because a lot of people tend to do their investigations at night. So I think mm -hmm. it heightens the senses. But has anything happened during the day when you've just been doing your walkthrough? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and that is a misconception, I think, guided by popular media that, you know, all hauntings take place at night. And that is absolutely not the case. Uh, you know, we've gotten some great evidence during the day as well. The reason we investigate at night is is really twofold. One, um, a lot of our equipment is designed to be used at night. So, for example, lasers, when we use laser grids, obviously it translates better on uh, a night vision video camera to use a laser in the, in the night. Um, also, a lot of the locations that we investigate uh, are have business hours during the day, so you can only investigate at night. Um, but to your point, yes, we've had absolutely uh, some very compelling evidence through wa our walkthroughs. Uh, Fort Mifflin is one of those. Um, now, uh, uh, I took Ghost Biker Miranda uh, with me to do a walkthrough during the day, and we captured a very cool EVP down in casemate uh, number 11. Uh, she and I were the only two people in there, and we captured a man's voice. Um, when Jenny and I were doing the walkthrough to the Ma Barker house, we were able to capture some things there. Uh, and also the Lizzie Borden house. The Lizzie Borden house, we actually captured two very cool EVPs while we were doing equipment setup. And that's one thing, and I'll digress just for a second. As soon as we as soon as we cross the threshold into a location, whether we're bringing in luggage or bringing in equipment, uh, we always have our voice recorders going, and because for that very reason, you know, to capture things during the walkthrough. And the Lizzie Borden uh, house afforded us that opportunity. We captured two very cool EVPs there um, when we were doing the walkthrough. So yes, we absolutely capture things during the walkthrough. Brilliant. We'll have to do a show based on EVP recordings and compare. Yeah, you let's know, do it. I think that'd be great. Everyone's sharing, you know, because we've had some great EVP recordings. Um, but again, it's like you say, people hear different things. And I don't know if that's the way our brain works or, you know, how it's coming through to different people. But it'll be great to have a show just based on EVP recordings. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. What I want to do is just take a step back. You, was, you referred to, well, the question about do you do things like a protection prayers and things like that and you're saying that you come from a christian background mm -hmm. um you know for me i'm catholic and my mum you know she she supports us in anything we do yeah but she's very clear to me and says i don't agree with it you know <laughs> you know she says you could be tampering into things that you don't really know which mm -hmm. she has a fair point um if you don't mind me asking what are your fam i know you got your sisters involved in this as well but is there members of your family that come from a Christian background that don't agree with what you do and sort of have a difference of opinion about what this industry is about? You know, honestly, no. Um, when we first started doing this, that very first investigation, um, you know, our, our parents weren't skeptical, but they were very curious about what we were doing. Uh, and, and they knew that we had that that fascination with the paranormal, that we we would watch the popular television shows, Ghost Hunters and Taps and all of that. Um, and, and so really it became more of a curiosity factor. And um, so uh, that first investigation at West Virginia State Penitentiary, we followed that up uh, the next month with the Trans-Allegheny lunatic asylum. So really, when we first started this, it really was just us doing some very cool things together as sisters and friends. And I never really thought that it would be something that would translate into getting to be guests on podcasts or, you know, putting YouTube videos out there. It really was when my family started to become fascinated with what we were doing that I started the documentary videos on, on our investigations. And uh, it was really more for them because I get, uh, we kept getting all these questions like, what was it like? What did you feel? What did you see? What did you hear? And um, my family has been 100% 
supportive. I mean, all the way down to cousins and nephews and, you know, brothers and all of that. Uh, they couldn't be more supportive. So when you've got a, your dad wearing a soul sisters paranormal hat, uh, I think you've, uh, I think you've crossed that threshold and, and they're, like I said, very supportive of us. It is great. But then there is people, you know, do you find that the people are not for the paranormal? Do you think some people are just scared to step into the unknown? You know, they're scared to what they can delve into. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's always going to be that that fear of the unknown, right? Nobody, to your point earlier when we were talking behind the scenes, this is something that nobody really has a definite answer to that we won't know until we die. But the the thing is, we're all going to die. So there's always going to be that fascination and again, trepidation, I think, with that. But for us, and for me personally, it is one. This this journey has really um, actually calmed some of the fears that I've had about death uh, that I had before I started this journey, um, and and just some of the personal experiences that I've had throughout this journey. And so I do think that there's a trepidation by some people. Some people don't believe it, and and that is absolutely their prerogative. Right. You know, we we get people that that say, you know, I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't believe in what you're doing, and that is absolutely fine. You know, if, if you want to watch our videos for the historical component, fantastic. If you want to watch it for the paranormal component, fantastic. Uh, we're not trying to convince you of anything. We're not trying to change a belief structure because I've had people say, oh, you're just trying to get me to believe that. And no, I'm not. Um, we're just putting these out there that for, for evidence, for people who like history, and then for evidence that we can't explain while we're doing these investigations in the moment. And so, you know, but for me, I really find that once you start talking about this and what you do and they watch your videos, then they'll start saying, well, you know, I had a ghost story or my grandmother had this experience one time. So more people, I think, are starting to talk about those experiences because it has become a little bit more accepted. Mm, definitely. I think I can relate to what you're saying about people not believing it. And everyone has the right to believe, you know, if they don't believe it, that's fine. I respect that because at the end of the day, I was one of those people that didn't believe it. Like <laughs> um, Sarah, my wife, she started doing this long before I did. And I used to say to her, oh, go and play with your Ghostbuster friends, you know, don't have fun. <laughs> and then I got the, and then Dan, um, the owner of Portal to the Paranormal, gave me an opportunity to be part of a team, mm -hmm. which has expanded into so many great things, not just about being part, of, but having, it's like another family, you know, a paranormal mm -hmm. family, because we're all crazy to run in the dark. And, <laughs> you know, let's be honest. Um, right. But there was one particular moment, there was, because um, we also hold events, we like to share what we do, so people right. can come along and, Instead of just, like you were saying, instead of just watching it on YouTube, we say, well, come along and have, you know, see what can happen. And we had a gentleman come on one of our events and he come up to me and goes, look, I don't believe in any of this. Um, I'm just here because my missus and my my missus mum just want me to take part. And I was like, you know what, that's fine. I, You know, we appreciate that you took the time out to spend an evening with us and see what happened. Mm -hmm. And we, we went to Fort Whitley in, in Hampshire and Portsmouth where we are. And we were in the underground tunnels and we were doing a spirit box session. And anyway, we're, we're, you're there expecting to hear something about the, you know, someone come through about the location. He had a personal message come through from his father. Wow. And the, the things that were coming through was his sister's name, that she wasn't even there. Um, it said, son, I'm behind you. But as soon as that come through, he felt someone tap him on the back of the neck. Wow. And he goes, son, I need you to know that I'm sorry and think about what you're doing. This gent, bless him, he come out crying. He went back Aww. to the hub area. And, you know, that moment was just, it, it was upsetting for him. But I thought it was just such a great 
thing to get something like that. Mm-hmm. And you see his mind just changing from what he said to the start of the evening to that moment. Um, and that brings me on to my next question. With with spirits, do you think spirits get stuck after they've passed? Because we think about when, when their loved ones passed away, they they move on, they're, they're resting. Do you think if a spirit passes on without you know, sorting all their stuff out, if you get what I'm saying, like unfinished business. Do you Mm -hmm. think they get trapped in this, in a realm where they can't move on till they've done what they need to do? Or do you think it's a choice that a spirit can make in this? I, I, for me, I don't think it's, it's a trapped per se. I do think that, that, that something has to be fulfilled for them to move on. Um, so I, I actually, we, we operate on three theories as to why we can communicate with spirits. That first one is that they have unfinished business. Um, and just a very quick example of this, um, my, my, my granddaddy died in 1986 and I was extremely close with my Nana. In fact, I'm named after her. And so she and I were extremely tight and, uh, you know, I, I would always call her up and we'd talk and all of that. And, um, in, uh, 2008, I had this very profound dream and it was probably one of the most vivid dreams I've ever had in my life. And it happened three nights in a row, um, where granddaddy came to me in this dream the first two nights, he didn't say anything. And it really kind of freaked me out. I thought I was having a nightmare. Very, very vivid. I I mean, I can tell you how he looked, how he smelled, what he was wearing, the location in his office where he was. And um, so I I told my mom, I said, I had this dream about granddaddy two nights in a row. And so just off the cuff, she said, well, just ask him what he wants if you have the dream again. And so third night, here comes this dream. And in the dream, I said, granddaddy, what do you want? And he said, I'm waiting on your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. And then he vanishes. And so I don't, what do you do with that information? Right. It's just, it's just there. And um, so about two weeks later uh, in the middle of the night, we did get a call that Nina had an accident. She fell and really fractured her hip. And so when they put her in the hospital, she ended up and now Nana was 96, right? I mean, she had two boyfriends that nobody knew about. She was still driving, (laughs) dancing, all of this. I mean, Nana had it going on. Um, So it was a very kind of unexpected call for us. And um, so she went into the hospital and she ended up developing MRSA. And she never really recovered from that. And so when she passed in hospice and with permission from my family, I, I looked at my sister and I said, I know where she's going. She's going to this spot in the dream that granddaddy was and she's going to meet him. And so we took some tools. We had two K2 meters and uh, we went to the house and um, we had a black meter and a gray meter. And I said, Nana, are you here? And both of the meters start going off. And I said, are you with granddaddy? Both of the meters start going off. I said, okay, to confirm, can you just go to the black meter? And it did. I said, okay, can now stop. Can you go to the gray meter? And it did. And through those series of questions, I was able to, to, to come up with the fact that I believe that she met up with granddaddy and they ascended to whatever's next after this, because we went back a week later with the exact same tools, asked the exact same questions in the exact same spot and not one blip on those K2 meters. And so that, I believe that was his unfinished business, right? He was waiting on Nana and now he's ascended on. Uh, so that had to be fulfilled. The next theory that we operate on is that these individuals have a fear of retribution for the life they lived on earth. And I think that's why we see a lot of people in prisons and jails, a lot of spirits that we can communicate with because they're afraid to move on to whatever's next because of the life they had here on earth. Um, And then the third one is I, I do legitimately believe they can't find the way to whatever's next 
And I think that's why we see children's spirits um, that they, they know they're dead, but they can't process the way to get to the next, to the next realm. Again, I'll call it heaven. Um, so those are the three things that we kind of operate on. Right. And with that being said, um, sort of the same sort of line of questioning with tragic deaths, like sudden deaths that you don't expect. Mm -hmm. um, some people work on the theory that these spirits keep reliving that same moment. You know, say if someone was in a car crash, for example, and, you know, and it's like, is it something similar to like a residual energy that keeps replaying? Do you mm -hmm. believe spirits replay the same thing? I, I don't know if the spirits themselves, in my mind personally, my belief is I don't know if the spirits themselves really go through that same motion over and over and over. I do believe it's essentially a blip in 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 that in that process, if you will. So, for example, the way I explain it is if you've got a vinyl record and it's on the record player and there's a scratch on the record, every time it hits the needle, it's going to blip. Now, every song isn't going to have. A, a, a scratch, just this one location. So whether it be an anniversary or, um, you know, a birth date or some significant event or time, I think every time that happens, there's going to be this blip. Um, so for an example of that, um, when we investigated the Ma Barker house, again, we were the first team to investigate this location and I wanted it to be a multi-night investigation for us. So the very first night it was on the anniversary of the shootout. So the shootout happened on January 16th, 1935. So what we did is on January 15th, um, we put all of our equipment in the house and we had pre-recorded questions on a voice recorder that we left to play. And we left, we locked the doors and we left the house and it, because I wanted it to sit there as it would if nobody's in there, right? Yeah. Um, and we had some very interesting things happen. And one of those was at around 5.30 in the morning on the 16th, the voice recorder in the room where Ma and Fred Barker was killed captured two voices. The first one said, Freddie. The next one said, yeah, Ma. And the first one said, get ready. Now, I think that is a residual. It's not It's not the spirits per se talking. I think that is exactly what they said in 1935, but it's a, it's a residual. And so that's kind of how I explain that. And also, you know, there's different types of spirits and moving on to things that are on social, like the bigger platforms of social media, TV shows we're moving into. Mm -hmm. um, I find when I watch these, some of them, you know, I love what they do. But then I think sometimes people refer to spirits too quickly as a demonic entity oh, yeah. or something that's not living. You know, and I don't want to discredit anyone because at the end of the day, you're not with them. Right. This is a personal belief that I have. You know, what's your thoughts on, you know, the TV shows that always refer to a demonic entity? And have you ever come across anything that you would say is demonic? Well, I, I think we need to kind of just kind of go through the motions of what a, a TV show and a movie has to do, right? Their entire reason for being is to build an audience base. They do that because they have to get um, uh, advertising revenue, right? Um, and so the way to do that is to capture the attention of that audience. And most people have an innate fear of demons and evil. And so that's why horror movies are so popular. And so I think they thrive on that. And that's how they build and maintain that audience base. Um, because if you go to if you go to all these locations and you don't experience anything where you're running out of the door, um, that's very hard to hold somebody's attention. So mm -hmm. I think that the the popular media shows have had to go to that. Um, I don't believe that in a lot of these locations 
that they are as evil or as demonic as, as people perceive them to be. So for example, when we have people come into the jail, one of the very first questions people usually asked is, um, you know, where are the demons? Is it evil? What, you know, have you been touched here or whatever? Um, they always want to go to that because of the perception of television. Um, I can honestly say in all of the locations that I've been to, and I've been to Lizzie Borden, Villisca, Brushy, you know, the larger locations in this country, I've never felt evil. I have never felt anything demonic. That's not to say I don't believe they exist. But for me, a demon is not something that had a human existence. It's something that represents the the evil and the good and the evil of the world. That's the evil portion of it. And we don't go looking for that. We don't go provoking for that. And so because of that, I don't think we've ever found that. Um, and if we were to, to encounter something like that, it'd be, as I said before, we'd leave it alone um, because that's not something that I, I really want to interact with, right? That That's not my mission. My mission is to tell the stories of those entities that want their stories told. And so for for me, I think all of these locations that are being portrayed as demonic, I think they're they're that way because perception has told people to go in and look for those things. Um, again, perception being what they see on TV. I think I think that's the only downside to the paranormal because mm -hmm. people watch like let's be honest, you got the bigger people that are all on TV everywhere, you know, streaming, and they give sometimes i feel it could be staged but when you got like smaller groups like ours for example we just go with with what we can find and we never come across i'll be honest in all the in all the locations that we have um investigated we've never come on the, anything that i would consider as demonic mm -hmm. now we have come across energies or spirits that i feel are angry with us being there yep. and i'm sure yep. you can relate to that but i just think it's because of we're invading their their territory in a way because sometimes you do get those spirits that think this is my domain why are you coming here yeah. without realizing that we don't mean any harm and on that point have you come across a strong energy that's made you feel you know a bit on edge shall we say mm -hmm. so not demonic, we're stepping away from that now but mm -hmm. a, a spirit that's quite powerful in the sense of it's made you feel uncomfortable and things like that yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's exactly how we describe it as well, right? It's, it, it, you have these locations where spirits are darker. Because, I mean, let's face it, if you're a jerk in life, you're probably going to be a jerk in death. And <laughs> most, most spirits are going to want their space if they're that way. Um, so the, the one that comes to mind immediately is Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. There is a location that when you go into it, it just feels heavier, right? It feels like a, and not negative in the sense that it's demonic, but negative in the sense that this thing doesn't want you in there. Um, and that was a location. It was the auditorium. It's on the third floor. And for us, Brushy Mountain is this large penitentiary campus. And so we don't need to be in there if somebody doesn't want us in there. So it was, as I described, we put a voice recorder and we put a night vision video camera. And all we said was, we recognize this is your space. We respect you for being in this space. If you don't want us in here, we won't be in here. But if you want to communicate with us, here's the method to do it. And we're going to leave you alone. And that's really how we handle it. And so I'd say Brushy Mountain was the one where I really felt like something really didn't want us in our space, in their space. And we're fine with that. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like the fact that you're saying that you don't push you know, four things, even, and you sort of leave it at the basics and you go away and, you know, let it rest, um, which is great. Uh, one question that we do have here as well is, um, 
do you think some shows are staged to to get people to watch i think we sort of answered that but do you think they're staged uh yeah and i'm sorry for this noise in the background uh, you know sh again shows are there to grab that audience base i i don't want to say because I've never worked with any of these people. So I don't want to say that somebody has staged something. I think that they have really grandized some of the locations that they've been in. So for example, um, we went to Prospect Place Manor in uh, Trenway, Ohio, and it had just happened to be a couple weeks after Ghost Adventures was there. And the docent was telling us how, you know, we all know the host of that show, Zach, um, that he was up there and this is the location where he found the demonic pigeon. Okay. I, I don't think pigeons are demonic that's just my personal belief i don't feel that i don't think that that is possible but if he wants to do that and that's what he wants to portray on a show god bless him that's not for me to say um so i don't want to think that people stage evidence but i do think that there's a lot of um over hype or trying to oversell something like for example hearing a voice and running out screaming and that's not something that we do but you know other shows may no no okay um i agree with what you say there and with regards to you've been doing this for a number of years now and you know have you found that your senses have been heightened do you feel that you know people refer to like having a third eye where you start seeing more because you're getting more into the paranormal you're learning a lot more and you're opening yourself up for communication do you feel that you see a lot more with your eyes and hear a lot more with your ears, you know, since doing this? I, I do. And I think that's just kind of the nature of what we do. Um, and it's interesting because when you go into these locations, again, to our point earlier, most of our investigations are at night. And so when you're not relying on your primary sense, which is vision, naturally, your hearing starts being become very acute. Your feeling becomes very acute. Um, even smell becomes very acute more so than your eyesight. And so I think that we've really trained ourselves to to go into these locations and use those senses much more so than we did before. Um, so, for example, going into a location and smelling a faint smell of cigar smoke or cigarette smoke, uh, that has become, uh, you know, something that we can, it's, it's pretty prevalent in some of the, the locations that we go to. Um, as far as like sensing things, like with a third eye, um, I, I'm not going to profess to to do that or have that type of empathic ability at all. Um, now, Jenny and I are twins. So I do think that we have that innate sense of twindom, if you will, um, yeah. between the two of us. But I'm not going to say that we're actually empathic. Now, there are certain things that I'll go into a location and um, my tell, if you will, is my uh, left leg will start to become a little bit numb. And when that happens, I'll start to say, okay, I, I think we may get some things in this room or this location. Um, but other than that, I, I don't, I wouldn't profess to have any type of psychic ability or anything like that. And come, moving on to that, you know, part of the paranormal is demonologists, um, you have mediums, you know, spiritual mediums, there's all sorts. What are your thoughts on, you know, that people that do claim to have this sort of gift? Again, I'm in the mindset that some people are very genuine, you know, some of the stuff that they come out with, you can't fault. But, mm -hmm. you know, what's your beliefs when it comes to people in that sort of field? 
Oh, I, I think that there are very many people that have uh, some really interesting gifts, gifts that I can't explain. Uh, yeah. You know, we've had several people come to the jail or do a remote viewing um, with us over the phone and things that we don't really put out there to the public, but we'll, you know, we'll tell on, on ghost hunts or whatever. Um, they've been able to tell us. Uh, and, and, and in some cases, we've had stories being told to us by psychics um, or mediums that have come to the jail or have remote viewed the jail that we weren't aware of that we've been able to back up with historical um, archives and historical evidence. And, you know, because the longevity of this jail, it was an operation from 19, uh, 1904 to 2008. So obviously we can't research every inmate that's come through here or every, uh, you know, thing that has been committed here in this jail or why an inmate was in here. But um, some of the things that some of these mediums have, have hit on have been pretty spot on with what we go back and find in the archives. And so I do believe that there are people that have that ability. Absolutely. Brilliant. And, you know, with regards to Solstice as paranormal, you know, what, what are the next things that we can look forward to seeing with you guys? What's planned going forward? We've got several investigations lined up for next year, which I'm really excited about. Um, one is uh, the uh, hospital on College Hill, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. Um, that's in West Virginia. Um, and we've got some speaking engagements that we're going to be a part of. Um, both Miranda and I will be at the uh, Gettysburg Battlefield Bash, which is in January or uh, July. Very excited about that. Um, got a couple interviews that we're working on as well. And... Um, uh, we also have a series aside from the uh, Soul Sisters Paranormal investigation videos. We also have what I call like a spinoff uh, series, if you will, uh, called Landmarks, Legends and Lore. And so what that is, is we highlight different things um, that we don't necessarily investigate, but have a fascinating history or legend behind them. So for example, um, we've got haunted aviation, we've got haunted bridges, we've got haunted cemeteries um, that really just kind of tell the stories of these locations that we are very fascinated by, um, but we haven't really actually done a full-scale investigation at. So uh, I've got two of those in the works, hopefully have those out um, in the early part of 2023. And yeah, just kind of moving on with that. That sounds exciting. And for yourself, if you had, if money wasn't an option, I'm stealing. If Lex is watching from through the lens, I'm going to steal his sort of question. If money wasn't an option, you know, where would you go to investigate? Is there anywhere in the world that you would want to hit up straight away? Yes, Leap Castle in uh, Ireland. I would love to get there. Uh, that's kind of my bucket list location. Um, also uh, in Australia, there's a place called the Monte Cristo Plantation. Um, I've been there as a tourist. I have not been there as an investigator, but I would love to get to that location. And so there's um, there's a lot of locations uh, internationally that we would like to go to. Obviously, over in your neck of the woods, uh, you just have those locations that have this this history, this longevity that you know we just don't have over here. I mean, I love American history, um, but to get international would uh, would be something that I'd I'd love to do. And um, there's several locations here in the U.S. The Queen Mary out in California. I'd like to go to that location, and then just really just highlight these these smaller locations that 
um, are around the country, uh, you know, to be able to tell those stories and bring that to our audience because we are um, a very much uh, proponents of uh, historic preservation. So to be able to highlight these locations that may benefit from tourist dollars and if we can do our part to get people to investigate these locations or just visit these locations for their historical perspective, you know, that's something that we really enjoy and want to do. So to highlight these smaller whether it be battlefields or hospitals or houses um, where people can go and visit, uh, that's that's something that we truly enjoy. Yeah, it's great, you know, helping out other businesses as well. So it's not just doing it for yourself, it's the bigger picture. And I think that's what I've learned with the paranormal is like a community, not Absolutely. so much. And a lot of the people that we speak to, that we bring on as guests, they're, they're not scared to share their knowledge. They're not scared to say, well, this is what we do. Let's work together. And it would be great to, to be able to say, everyone just come down here or we go out there, you know, mm -hmm. just to do a big investigation. Because I think that would be um, absolutely awesome to do something like that. Yeah. Um, did you want to say and, something? And, and that's what that, and to your point, I mean, that's really what this community is about because, you know, it, it, I always cringe when somebody says I'm a paranormal expert. And because to me, there is no such thing as a paranormal expert in this community they, because we are all dealing with this, this portion of the human existence that nobody knows the answer to. We are not going to know the answer until we die. And so for somebody to say, well, I'm an expert in this, that to me really makes me cringe. But, you know, the people that we've met in this community have been, to your point, uh, just those salt of the earth people that are in this for the exploration portion of it, for the historical perspective portion of it, um, and, and just the general knowledge and really wanting to share um, kind of their experiences at these locations. And to me, I think that's what's so fun about really what we get to do. Yeah, I think we've already just scratched the surface of the paranormal, to be honest. I, a bit like what you say, I can't say any of us are experts in this because mm -hmm. there's so many different things that we don't know about yet. And like you said, I think a lot of that will come when, you know, our time on Earth is done. And then we pass on to the next stage of whatever the adventure is going to be, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's a lot of people are scared of it. But sometimes you just need to embrace it and accept it for what it is and just make the most of what you've got now. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll see what happens next. Um, so, you know, that's been a great chat. What I want to do is just move on and touch base on the Scott County Jail. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I watch the videos sometimes and some of the stuff you guys do with the motorbikes, the events. It's just absolutely great. And you've partnered up with Miranda as well. Mm -hmm. um, don't mind me asking, how did that come about then? So uh, Miranda and I, we actually met through the paranormal about five years ago. And uh, she, I had been following Ghost Biker Explorations. She had been following Soul Sisters Paranormal. So finally I said, you know, let me just email her and see if we can make this connection. And we did. And we ended up becoming fast friends. Uh, we've co we collaborated on several investigations together. And um just really hit it off as paranormal colleagues, but also as best friends. And so she is from this area of Tennessee called Scott County. And uh, so she's from here originally. And uh, due through a series of, of family circumstances, she really found the need to have to move back to this location. And uh, she knew that this jail was sitting vacant. It's been sitting vacant really since 2008. Um, it kind of always had a, a haunting reputation within the community, but nobody was really doing anything with it. And so she asked, asked if uh, I would want to be a business partner with her. And, and we really sat down for really two or three months before we talked to the town of Huntsville, and, who owns the jail. 
and, and really came up with what we thought was a solid business plan um, for how we could make this a really robust museum as well as a paranormal research center. And so we approached the town with our business idea. They, the aldermen and the mayor absolutely loved it. And um, so they agreed to lease it, at least the jail to us. And so then we really became everything from the, the plumbing maintenance and janitorial staff to the CEOs and marketing and managing and advertising execs of this, uh, of this company. And uh, it, it really has been a fascinating ride. Um, you know, I've been blessed to have a business partner who has a lot of skill in graphic design and advertising and marketing techniques and, uh, you know, just really utilizing that to, to make us look like a large company, much more so than just the two of us. And, uh, you know, to be able to put together um, this business, which um, to us, like I said, is just fascinating. We get to highlight crime and punishment as well as um, some of the history of Scott County. And then to be able to allow paranormal investigators to come in and rent the jail for the night and really connect with our spirits here. Um, to me, it's been a, a fascinating ride over the last year. And, and to work with someone like Miranda, because we've had the opportunity to speak to her as well, and the both of you, you know, such great people to speak to. Um, it, it just sounds like you guys just gelled really nicely. And it's just mm -hmm. from the minute you announced about partnering with the Scott County Jail, it's just gone and it's grown and grown and grown. And like I said, some of the events that you put on, did you want to share out some of the things that the events that you've had at the jail? Yeah. So, you know, in, in order to really um, try to find our, ourselves in this niche, um, we wanted to do things that really embraced who we were, um, you know, to to, the, to that aspect. She is Ghostbiker Explorations. I am Soul Sisters Paranormal. And we knew that this, even though we came together as business partners, we each have our separate, our separate groups and, and investigation teams that we knew we did not want to lose. And yeah. so we have um, opportunities for people in the community to come and investigate the jail with Miranda or with Soul Sisters Paranormal, um, or together with the both of us. Uh, we have ghost walks through the jail, through the town. Uh, we have flashlight tours. Uh, we have motorcycle events where um, we have uh, Miranda, who's an avid uh, motorcyclist, such as, and, and I am as well, um, but she'll lead uh, motorcycle rides through the through the county, through the Appalachian Mountains here, which is a gorgeous ride. Um, we've had uh, school groups come in, um, different things, uh, you know, that, that really highlight the jail um, as well as the paranormal, but really highlight the jail um, from the historical perspective. Um, so we, we really tried to partner with other um, uh, businesses in the community as well to do, do some different things and hold different events here. And I think from watching the events on Facebook, because I know you've posted stuff on there. I've seen Miranda, especially with the motorbikes as well. You know, it's always been such a great turnout and you see the enjoyment that everyone's having. You yeah. know, so it's been so like I said, I wish I was more local to you guys so that I could just pop down and, you know, I don't think I'll be any good on a motorbike, um, but <laughs> you know, just to see what you guys do. Um, and, you know, you say that you do the paranormal investigations at the county jail. What kind of things have you picked up from there? Well, it's fascinating because the interesting, like I said, the interesting thing about the jails, it closed in 2008. Um, so relatively speaking, it, it, it was still operational pretty recently here in, in the past. And so we've had deputies who worked here um, that will come up to us and say, you know, we I don't believe in that. I don't believe in the paranormal, but 
you know, we would hear footsteps running through the back stairwells at night. The elevator would start running on its own. Um, I was in a room by myself and something coughed in my ear. We've had inmates, former inmates of the jail come in and say, oh yeah, this place was creepy. You would hear footsteps at night when everybody was in their cells and the jailer wasn't up here. Um, so that was kind of interesting when we first started. But, you know, even sitting here, like I'm sitting here by myself and, you know, there are days where I'm by myself or Miranda's by herself or we're together um, where we'll hear footsteps upstairs. We'll hear doors slamming upstairs. Um, whistling has become a very big thing here. Uh, you'll just hear somebody start whistling. Um, so we've captured numerous EVPs on our security cameras. Um, we've captured a great picture of our, our resident shadow figure. We believe it was Sheriff Richard Ellis who was killed right outside our front door in 1925. Um, so, and what's, what's fascinating is, is we've had pr probably close to 75 teams come through here and investigate this location. And it's like they all are having similar experiences, which to us, again, is fascinating. Um, for example, um, upstairs on the second floor, there was a, an instance where Miranda was locking up at night and then the reflection of this glass, she was the only person in the building at 3.30 in the morning after the team had left. And in the reflection of this glass, she saw a man standing behind her and she described him. And um, we never really told anybody about that. Um, but the next paranormal investigation group that came in, they were discussing their findings with Miranda and they said, oh, by the way, I was looking at this article and in the reflection of the glass, there was a man behind me and he looked like this. And it was the exact same reflection that Miranda had seen uh, in a different picture. And so the, the fact that, that um, teams are coming in and corroborating some of these stories and capturing some, some of this evidence again to us is fascinating. Um, and, and we've, we've been very fortunate that the spirits of this jail, they love to talk. Sounds great, and especially when you're getting different teams at different mm -hmm. periods that are getting the same. It validates how real this paranormal is. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about it, but just chucking out an idea because I'm stuck over here and I can't join you. Have you ever thought about doing like a live, like setting up your security cameras and doing like a live stream and leaving the county jail just on its own and see what people watch throughout the night and what they can pick up? You know, we, we have, and we're, we're struggling with whether or not to do it. I mean, it's, it's a conversation that we, we, that Miranda and I frequently have. Um, on one hand, it'd be great to do it, to come up with some type of a live stream situation. On the other side, we want people to come and experience this for themselves. Um, yeah. You know, and so then we, we would want to make sure that those live streams are turned off when a team is here. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it, we may do it in the future. It, it is on the high list of things that we're debating back and forth on. Um, it's just kind of weighing the pros and cons of it. I better be the first person to get the message when that's going to happen. <laughs> we will well, let you know. We'll let um, you know. You and I will sit here for 24 hours and we'll have a marathon. We'll just watch do, it. Do you know what? I did because we set up a live stream when we go to events. Unfortunately, not everyone can join us mm -hmm. and we want to share out as much as we can. And we, we do set up a live stream so people can watch from home. And it's amazing. Some of the stuff that we do capture when when certain parts of the location are empty is amazing, you know. Um, and just going back to Miranda's comment, I said about wanting to be there. She goes, wish I could be there. You'd be there. If I come, you won't get rid of me. That's the only problem. <laughs> Listen, um, you can, you're, you have an open invitation to stay as long as you'd yeah. like. <laughs> but no, it's, it's absolutely great. And the other, just before we do finish, there was one thing that I did want to touch on. You said about the county jail, you have different peoples and you have school groups come. Mm -hmm. 
I've noticed that more and more younger people are getting um, intrigued and, you know, fascinated by the paranormal. What's your thought about younger people getting involved and, you know, and investigating the paranormal? I, I, I think it one has its pros and cons. Uh, you know, I, I think the majority of these these kids that are getting into this are doing so because they're watching the TikTokers, they're watching the YouTubers. And I, I you know, to our discussion earlier, I think there's pros and cons because the 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 pro is they're getting exposed to this um, and and really having more open minds at an earlier age. But I think the con is that they're seeing these these people that are pushing the demonic, they're seeing these people that are pushing the evil and that are in it for really instant gratification, right? So we, um, Miranda and I, we give um, uh, flashlight tours. And although we we touch on the paranormal, that's not the main focus of the flashlight mm -hmm. tour, the history is. But we'll talk about the ghost stories, except in one cell upstairs, we'll sit and we'll have an EVP session. We'll bring out some K2 meters um, and attempt to to communicate with the spirits in this this one cell that is extremely active. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, we have these kids come in and, and on that flashlight tour and want, oh, you know, we want it instantaneously. And that's the disservice that TikTok and, and YouTube has, has really done for us is that we they're not going to operate on command. There may be some flashlight tours where nothing happens. And then these yeah. kids end up leaving because, well, we saw on TikTok where it happens like this and this, and that's just not the case. Um, but for the majority of them, you know, they, they are interested. Um, we, but what we want to do is say, you can't just have the paranormal. It's also the history portion of this. You've got to respect the history portion. If you're going to partake in this, this paranormal field. And I think that's the thing. It's with the paranormal, the way I would describe it, it's like going fishing. You know, mm -hmm. you cast your rod, you know, you're not going to get a bite straight away. It takes time, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think, like you're saying, again, referring to these bigger social media platforms, they, they seem to pick up stuff very quickly. And unfortunately, it's not always like that. You mm -hmm. could be stood in a tunnel for, for three hours and not get yeah. anything. You oh, yeah, absolutely. In an old bedroom. It's not, it's not always how it is when you look at these big channels unfortunately it is mm -hmm. a, a misconception and sometimes like, like you've just said it takes a long time for us to gather these evidence and sometimes yeah. it's the smallest bit that you capture that is the only bit that you get throughout the whole evening um yeah. and just following on cassandra's asked do you think that younger kids are more open to the paranormal than adults absolutely and I'm, i'll circle back to that question real quick but i want to follow up on on really what you said for a minute another thing that that TikTok and youtube do a disservice on when they do these lives is it doesn't give you the opportunity to go back and actually review the entire environment. Um, and by that, I mean, we had um, a pretty popular TikToker in here um, one night and we had told him that the, the cells upstairs are kind of like on a grid system and it's all steel, right? So when you slam one door, you're going to get a reverberation through the entire upstairs. And so this particular individual had a, a, a REM pod and a K2 set up and the door kept hitting. And at, every time it hit, the K2 and the REM pod would go off. And he's like, oh my God, look, we're getting so much activity. Da, da, da. And I, I wanted to get on the live and say, stop this. It's, it's not, we do have spirits here, but what you're communicating with is not the spirit. You're figure it out, right? You're, you're, the door is hitting 
And this is this is the the transaction that's occurring at that same time. So you're not looking at the environment of the entire situation. It doesn't give you the time to actually go back and debunk things. Um, and I think again, that's where lives and, and TikTok really do a disservice to what we're trying to do, which is look at everything um, from a research mindset. Uh, to Cassandra's question, and thank you, Cassandra, to answering it. Um, I, I think that children do have a better perception of the paranormal because they're not biased by adults, if that makes sense, right? You, right. when you're, when you're born, you don't have this, um, this sense of this can't happen. You're more open. Um, you're more, um, uh, you know, open to the idea that things can happen outside of what we see. And so I think that's why a lot of children, uh, you know, have imaginary friends. They could legitimately be talking to a spirit. Um, and so I think they're more open to that. It's not until the world keeps saying that's not possible, that can't happen, that we start to lose that ability to really see the paranormal. All right. No, no, okay. <laughs> I agree. And it, it, like you said, it does do a bit of a disservice. And unfortunately, people come or go on to these events or, you know, watch and thinking that they're going to see something straight away. And like I, we always say to our guests when we invite them along, do not expect anything to happen straight away. You know, we they're, they're not performing monkeys. Sarah exactly. likes my wife. My wife Sarah likes this term. She said spirits are not performing monkeys. They can only do what they can do, mm -hmm. and part of that you need to have the right environment, the right energy, and everything. You know, if you go in there a little bit annoyed or had a bad day, and you carry that into your investigation, I do believe that affects the evening as well. It doesn't help. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got to go in there with a sound mind. Um, you know, it's been absolutely great talking to you, Chris. I'm so happy that you agreed to come back on. Absolutely. You, know, you, you come in from a, you know, a level-headed way of thinking about the paranormal. Um, but just for our audience that are watching, you know, can you just give them a bit of a shout out where they can find all your content? Sure. So uh, Soul Sisters Paranormal, if you go to our website, it's www.soulsistersparanormal.com. Uh, anything you want to know about us is on there. Um, our upcoming appearances and events, uh, all of our videos. Uh, we have a videos page there that you can watch all of our documentary videos as well as our landmark legends and lore uh, videos. Um, we're very active on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal. Um, and on YouTube, our channel is Soul Sisters Paranormal. If you want to go to the historic Scott County Jail, that website is www www.historicscottcojail.com. I believe Miranda put it over here in the chat comments um, so yeah. you can see that. And uh, that has everything that you want to know about the jail, kind of how we got started, some of the uh, uh, some of the things that we've captured here, uh, as well as all of our upcoming events. And also Haunted Magazine out of the UK. Thank you so much for plugging us. Uh, you can find out about the jail in there as well. Brilliant. Um, just want to say a big thank you to everyone that joined in with the questions. Some of the questions have been absolutely brilliant. And this is what we love, you guys taking part, asking your questions. Um, you know, so we'll definitely follow up with Chris. And we were having a chat just before the live, and we're going to bring on her twin sister as well. Yep. So that's something to look forward to, to see how they work together. That would be great. And then I think the EVP show, me, you, yes. Miranda, your sister, all of us together, and we can compare EVPs. And it'll be great because everyone can have a true conversation about what they think it is, you know, and, you know, just respects everyone's belief. And I think that'll be great, a great yeah. show to do. But from me, um, I just want to say thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to come on, share your experiences and tell us about everything that you guys are doing. 
you know, I hope it all works out well for you. You know, what you guys are doing are great. You know, I think you and Miranda, absolutely great. I've got to give Miranda a shout out because she's been absolutely well. Um, but no, you guys, um, you you were some of the first guests that we had on our podcast, and you know, we've just built and built, and it's been great to catch up with both of you. Um, mm -hmm. and I look forward to following on. Um, but I'm going to say my goodbyes and thank you everyone for joining. Um, Chris, um, again, thank you. I'll thank put you. you and in the green room and then we'll just have a quick chat to finish off. But again, thank you guys, for your support, Nando. We appreciate it. No, no. Do you know what? It is absolutely great what you guys are doing. Like you said, you're not just doing it for yourselves. You're also helping the community. And some of the events that you've run, you know, at the Scott County Jail, like I said, I've said it a few times now. I wish I was there, you know. <laughs> and like I said, if you do do decide to do the live stream, I better be the first person to be told. I won't be yep. happy if I'm not. But you know, <laughs> um, I just wish you both all the success in what you're doing. And we look forward to seeing more content coming into the new year with you guys. Absolutely. Um, thank you. But thank you, everyone, again, for watching. And we'll catch up with you all soon. Take care, everyone.